This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Wow. Thank you very much, um, everybody, and welcome to the first of two live specials of the Stacey West podcast. Um, I'm Ben, and Gary's with me, as ever. Are you all right? I've got a little chubber on after that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to know that. Did not want to know that at all. There we go. Um, but yes, we are, we are here today live in the boardroom at the football club. Um, big thank you, first off, before we get anything out of the way, um, big thank you to, to Liam for suggesting this as an idea. Um, we've got 20 or 30 people who, you know, we, we drew out of a hat. Uh, and they're sitting watching us, which is, as I said, just before we started recording, a little bit terrifying. Yeah, I don't think we've been that diverse either. I think we've only got two females. I think we're leaving ourselves open. Well, there's three. Is there three? My good lady wife's here as well. Oh, yeah. Well, you didn't draw her out, her out the hat. No, I, did, I mean, she kind of had to show up, really, didn't she? Yeah. It was, it was... She didn't have to. If I was married to you, I'd probably have taken the time at home. Oh, that's to be fair, honest, yeah. Bit of peace and quiet. I mean... What a prick. Anyway. Um, so... Um, we are gonna we're gonna do about sort of ten fifteen minutes of what we'd call a normal podcast. Um, but it's a bit warm in here. Hang on. For those listening in at home, Ben has just revealed a Manchester United shirt. Sod that noise, right? Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do kind of normal podcast first off, but. Um, we're going to go over the Burton game, but we've got a couple of guests with us today. Uh, so first off, to, to look over the Burton game with us and to talk about it, uh, can we please welcome Mr. Harry Toffolo? <laughs> that, was, that was the worst that, rendition. Oh, man, that <laughs> is... <laughs> You do know the words, You've guys. not even been you? drinking. I know, I know Paul does. Calm it down now, Paul. That's enough. I'll say you've not even been drinking. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
How are we doing, Toffee? You all right? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good thank stuff. Thank you for coming, mate. Thank you for coming along, mate. Yeah, it, it's on. It's on, I think. Uh, let me just Hello, turn it over. Yeah, we're on. Uh, let me well, just... technical difficulties on the Stacey West podcast. There's a, there's a new slash. Dick it, Gary. Um, again, this is not my PA system. Yeah, it's working. So, um, so yeah, let's, first off, great win on Saturday for you guys. Yeah, I think it's uh, a win that's been coming. I think we've, uh, we've worked tirelessly. You probably don't see what happens behind the scenes, but we've, we've, had, a, we've had a break, two and a half weeks of, without a game, and the hard work's been there. I'm sure the manager's going to tell you all about it, but it's been working hard, and the, the lads have, have, have just put everything into the last two and a half weeks to, to get the right result, and I think it showed like, the emotions of the, obviously in the videos of the bench, everybody getting up, all the way from the staff, all the way to the players, I think. Shows a real unity and a togetherness that the football club has, and to have that and an away day at Burton, which is not an easy place to go. I thought we were very professional, and, and we we did the job. We did the job on them. Yeah, I mean, we we were saying um, on last week's podcast, you know, with no disrespect to you guys whatsoever, we thought it was going to be a very difficult game, um, and we said, you know, we 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 probably would have taken as a, you know as fans, we would have taken a point. Um, do you ever go into games with that mentality, or is it always, you know, we 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 have to get all three or do you sort of look at things from that pragmatic point of view and say, you know, if we get a point, it's a good result or? Uh, I want to win. Uh, I'm used <laughs> to winning. When I at Lincoln, you, you get used to winning. So you want to continue to do so. And, and anything else is a lot of the players in the squad, they look at themselves, they critique themselves a lot. So we want to get better. And the only way we can get better, like we can get the confidence from winning games and, and getting good results. We've probably not had the rub of the green recently, but we got the three points. We got the clean sheet as a as a. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say as a back five. I think the whole team got the clean sheet on on the weekend, and it was a real togetherness, and and it was just a real special day to be a part of, and something that I look back at the Rotherham probably Rotherham away earlier in the season. I think having the early goal, the fans were incredible on the day, so loud. I think we had over a third of the, the capacity of the stadium, so I think it's it's good, and and to have that as players is is brilliant. And that's something that you said as well in your write-up, Gary, about it feeling a lot like the Rotherham game. Yeah, I thought so. Um, we've not had some great away performances. Obviously, I think Gillingham sticks in the mind. I think we've had some strong away performances as well. Uh, Wimbledon, I thought we played okay. I thought um, going back further, Rochdale. And we haven't always, as Harry said, um, as Toff said, sorry, got the rubber to green. But he did feel, it felt special, didn't it? And that was from the second, from getting up. There was just something about it. It just felt like... As I, I think I wrote that the two-week break was almost like a right. That's that, that's the dot. That's the line in the sand. That's the uh, you know. It's been a tough time for all sorts of reasons, but it just everything felt like we'd turned a corner. And I, I don't know if that's reflected as in players. Players. Well, yeah, massively, and I'm sure the manager will say when we've we've got games Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. A lot of time, lads aren't training due to recovering, and we can never really get the full 20, 20 man squad out on the grass. And we've been able to have that for the last two and a half weeks. We've been able to to work hard and and get the ideas that the managers the managers got, and I thought that came to fruition on on Saturday. I think we just showed that we've got got the ability in the group. We see George coming back into the side of his set piece delivery, which I thought was excellent, and it was it was fantastic on Friday, and he had the delivery there ready to go. So that gave us a, a good start and a good platform in the game, and and we nearly got a few more chances from those sort of set pieces. George or Bruno? I oh, can't can't say a bad. <laughs> I can't say a bad word about Bruno. <laughs> Which one are you more likely to beat on FIFA then? Because I know that you like beating kind of nine and ten-year-old kids on FIFA, win all the time, but, you know. Yeah, you've got to win at all costs. I think that's what it is. 
So yeah, it was. Um, it, 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 I was I was at home listening to it on the radio on on Saturday, and it sounded. The second half sounded. Hey, sorry, what was it cold? Was it was it a bit far? Sixty miles. <laughs> He's such a prick, isn't he? <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> Chairs a point, and it was Paul pipe down. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, it sounded, it sounded particularly in the second half like the confidence was really starting to come back with with everybody, and it sounded like things just just started to click a little bit more. Um, it, from stuff that we've said previously, performances have been there in in recent games. It's just been it, there's just been something that you can't quite put your finger on as to to what it is that's almost not lacking as such, but it's just like the final ball or the the, the final finish isn't quite there. Did it feel did it feel massively different on Saturday? I know we've we've sort of had a quick chat um, off air, and you said that it was a lot of it was to do with you know the, the the early goal and getting those nerves settled, and then the fans getting behind you for the whole game and that that noise from the away end. Um, did it feel massively different to the recent games that you've had as well? Or I think we were just more streetwise. I think we were we sort of um, coming to the end of the games. We conceded a lot of late goals. We were aware of that as as players and and as a team. But I think we just managed the game perfectly. I think we we um, we had the lead early doors. We managed the the storm, as they call it in football. We we dealt with their their threats, and I thought we did we did really well. Second half, we grew in. We had an eighteen year old Ellis Chapman in the midfield who grew into the game. Who I thought was was excellent on the day. He did really well. Shows his maturity and his confidence. You got the other lads that potentially probably haven't been playing in, in last weeks. They've come in and they've. Like, look at John. I thought he was. I thought he was excellent. Well, I could go through the whole team saying everyone was excellent. So, I think we we grew into the game, and if we can continue to to do that and and make sure we take the best the best parts from the game and work on the the, the sort of the negatives, then I think we'll be in a good place come Tranmere with a full week's worth of training. So you touched on John there. I find that quite interesting because I think John takes some stick from some sections of the fans because. Um, I think he's probably more of a footballer's footballer than a fan's footballer in the terms of the work that he does for the team. Um, I mean, you know, he kind of gives you an out ball, he lets the ball stick, etc. Um, do you kind of feel that pain when, when he misses the chance like he did at Ipswich and you just think, John, oh, everything else is right, but you know that that one chance is what he's going to get remembered for? It's That's football. We, we, we go and watch the World Cup and we, we slate professional footballers who've been playing in the Premier League for 10 years and that's just the way football is and you have to take with the good with the bad but John's a strong character and I think he's proved that and how he's he's bounced back from every negative comment that's ever come to him but he's he's a brilliant lad to have around and like you said he's so he's he's, he's just brilliant on the, on the football pitch and we were looking back at the clips today from the game going through it and he's making two tackles two sliding tackles on the halfway line from your striker who 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 then sort of leads on to another counter, counter phase where we can get forward. And that starts from John up front. That doesn't start from the defenders making tackles. That starts from the very top of the, of the pitch, which probably goes unnoticed because you look at the striker, you should score goals, you should do this. At the end of the day, we've got goals everywhere around in the team at the minute. So I think we can, if we can just sort of back, back the lads and, and keep going because you just proved in that game on, on Saturday, everyone was behind all the... Kind of, 1,300, 1,400 fans that went. About 1,300. We felt like everybody was behind us. So, and, and that helped massively. And, and it's probably the reason why we did get the three points and a clean sheet. So, I mean, sorry, Ben, but it, kind of, I think a lot of it comes from social media. And as footballers, do you have to manage not the amount that you're on social media, but almost how much you would let it impact you? Because some of the stuff that I see, you know, if it was me, 
I'd be locking myself in a room because I take criticism really quite quite heavily. I mean, how, how do you kind of deal with that? Not that you've had criticism, to be fair, but no, I think everyone everyone's had the, everyone's had their criticism, and I sort of try and tell my mum and dad to stay off Twitter because they're yeah, the first. I was going to say, what about Harry yes, Anderson? And if his you're man. listening, mum and dad, stay off. But they're, they're the they're, for us as footballers, you like I say, you have to take the good with the bad. You can't suddenly everyone's raving about you. Sit there and at home and, and think you're the you're the dogs can't say the rest but um but then when it's bad you can't sit at home and and sort of mope about you have to you have to keep an even keel never too high never too low so I think with football and you get that fine balance you you'll, you'll be in a good place and, and performing at the best of your ability um I was gonna say before Gary interrupted me um was um about about John again um saying that there was a moment in the uh in the highlights I think it was I think it was just before he hit the post. Um, you saw he went up to win a header and the defender came in and his knee, I think it was either his knee or his elbow, was basically halfway up the smaller John's back. And most players, you'd think, right, well, he's, he's on the floor there, he's, he's knackered. But John not only won the header, but then he, he got on the end of the ball that came back and then had a shot from 25 yards that hit the post. I mean, that, that to me exemplifies what you're saying, is that he's, he's that kind of player that, that won't back down from a challenge and, and he's you know, got the strength to do that. Yeah, absolutely. He's a beast, and I think we've we've got twenty players in our squad. Twenty out of twenty players that that will put their neck on the line. I think you saw how many Joe Morrell did an unbelievable block on the edge edge of the box. And and if, uh, recent weeks they might have gone in the goal. It's just that might have been our luck. But you got every single player throwing themselves at everything. And if you can have that all the way from the front, all the way to the back. Look at Josh making unbelievable saves as well. First half, I think it was a crucial save. And look, we're 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 a winning team. We've we've won in we've won last season. We've won many games. We want to get back to winning ways. And I'm sure Saturday is a a massive step in the right direction of getting consistent performances and results. Just before we move on, I spoke to John for the program a couple of months back, uh, and he said if he wasn't a footballer, he would have been a plumber. Now, there's no way I could see no, him getting chance. under my sink, to be honest, because <laughs> um, he's he's a big lad. I mean, and I've only I've got a big sink, but I tell you, this is a big lad. Um, if you weren't a footballer, Toffer, would you have been? Do you reckon? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would have been. I've, Agent um, for his lad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, you give me an idea now. <laughs> How many takes does it take? Are they all first takes? No, I, I'd be lying if they said they're all first. But sometimes we could be sat there for for two minutes and he'll do it. And other times we could be sat there for an hour, to be honest. But to credit to him, I'm talking about a three-year-old now. But a, <laughs> but a credit to him, like, he won't stop until he's done it. But once he's done it, I'll go, oh, do you want to do it again? No, Dad, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> but it's bath time now. It's half nine. Get to bed. But no, it's it's... It's, it's good. Like he loves it, like, and he loves coming to Tinsel Bank, and he loves the whole atmosphere. And I think, as a as a dad, to be able to have that for your kids, for your kids to experience that is it makes me proud. It makes me a very proud dad. So good stuff. Yeah, all done. I think uh, yeah, it's covered Burton, isn't it? Yeah, More or less covering Burton. Um, thank oh, you very much for joining us. Oh, one second. Half, half nine for a three-year-old. That's pretty generous. Half nine. Yeah. Well, it depends if he gets it in a target or not. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> My missus packs me off at about a quarter past. But, uh, no, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, Toff. I know you've got, you. uh, you've got to put the boys to bed, so uh, we will see you guys later. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, thank, you very very much. thank you very much. Cool. Right. Well, um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's probably time we got, uh, got someone else on. What do you reckon? Star guest? Yeah. My dad. Yeah, come on then, Pete. In you come. No. 
He hasn't taken his hat off in there. The aircon must be really cold. <laughs> no, um, so yes, obviously tonight um, was was um, pitched to us and, and sort of we pitched it back to the club and, and it was uh, it was put forward as an opportunity for, for us to get to know um, the new manager. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please welcome Michael Appleton. Now, before we start, yeah. okay, I met Michael uh, not so long ago in his uh, in his dressing room, and the first thing I've noticed when I've walked in is a table like this, and I, I am exaggerating, but that's what I do. It was literally covered with chocolate, more chocolate than you've ever seen. So what we've done is I've brought a bag full of chocolate. Now, this is for everybody. We are going to pass it around, but Michael, if you'd like to select one first... <laughs> And there are what I, what well, I choose. Well, I happen to remember that there was an orange club on your table, so the orange clubs were the only ones that weren't on offer at one pound for two packets. Um, the others, no expense looked, spared at the Stacey West podcast. Well, people. no, I just looked for the little yellow thing in the. Uh, oh, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have bought the fucking clubs. Wow. Uh, so, if you want to pass those round, hang on, let me take the clubs out because they're worth quite a bit of money. Actually. <laughs> That's so, I've got some celebrations to pass around as well, and I've taken all the Maltesers out because you're not having those. Wow. Oh, did you want one, Ben? I'm all right, mate. No, it's all right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, Michael, welcome to the Stacey West podcast. Um, it is it's a pleasure and an honour, really is. Um, it wasn't something that we were really expecting. Um, it's the first time, I think, well, Liam's been on the podcast and... Uh, Alan's been on the podcast as well. Um, but, yeah, it's the, it's the first time, really, that we've had the opportunity to get um, a player and a member of the, the management staff in, so it's, uh, it's massively appreciated. Cheers, thanks. No, Happy to be here. I think what we're going to do is talk a little bit about your early career because um, I think that uh, when you first came in, I think some uh, we've, we've been in the non-league for quite a while and I think some of our fans perhaps didn't pay much attention to league football, so... Um, and some of them weren't around in 94, 95 when you first graced our turf, which we will touch upon. Um, but I understand your debut might have been a little tough when you were here last time. Um, but just going back, I mean, obviously, um, way, way back, how does, a, how does a young Michael Appleton wind up at Manchester United as a, as a young player? Um, I think it was quite an easy one, actually. I think um, being born in Salford, um, Salford's very much a, a red city, for those who don't know it. Um, People talk about and take the mickey out of, um, you know, United and tell me that, you know, most of the supporters that live in London or down south or come over from Ireland every uh, every Saturday and Tuesday. Um, the reality is probably North Manchester, it's a it's mostly blue, but Salford and the surrounding areas are all reds. Um, so being born in Salford, playing in Salford, playing for Salford Boys and your local clubs, um, I think it was the age, I think it was 10 when I first went there. Uh, and and back then, it just goes to show how, how things have changed. You've got like five, six-year-olds now probably training in development centres probably two, three times a week, whereas probably up to the age of 14, we was only training with the, the club one day a week, one night a week. And then probably 14 to 16, maybe two or three nights. And then obviously when you join uh, as a scholar straight from school. So, yeah, from the age of 10, really, uh, I was in with them. Uh, Brian Kidd um, invited me in and the rest is history. 
Because you're a Man United fan as well, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Um, Do you want a shirt? <laughs> I imagine he might have one or two, Ben. You never know. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm happy about the weekend. Obviously, the weekend was good for all sorts of reasons. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, it looks like we're uh, head dog again in Manchester for a short period of time. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't get used to it. But... <laughs> anyway, look at how we're turning it into a Man United podcast. <laughs> and it's not my fault. I just want to say that. I reckon we would have had about about 200 more applicants if people had realised that. So, Obviously, when you came through, youth setups were very different back then to they are now. Certainly, I mean, at United, you're 10 or 11 at United now, and you're getting probably five days a week, you're schooling, uh, etc. Do you think, um, in terms of the English game, do you think that's a benefit? I mean, obviously, we saw some great players come through around your age, around your age group who have, have become influential in English football. How do you sort of see the comparison between then and now? Yeah, it is, it's very, very difficult. My, my biggest concern and worry is that we, we produce a lot of the same type of players because of the academies getting them too early. Um, I'd be more of a fan of allowing them to play with their mates and their friends, um, playing on a Saturday and Sunday at the local clubs, and then probably when they get to the age of maybe 12, 13, 14, yeah, okay, fine, I, I get it then. But there's just too many young players who, by the time they get to 11, 12, they're just fed up with football. And I do believe that's because these get the same drills dr- drilled into them day in, day out at, at the clubs, and they don't get an opportunity to express themselves. Whereas, you know, if they're, they're playing at the school and the and the yard or AstroTurf or whatever it is these days, um, I just, I just, this is just my opinion. I think we'll produce even better players. Do you think we're taking the, the fun out of football to a degree? Well, we're taking the decision making out of football, hundred percent. You know, so we're almost. This is what you do, and this is how you do it. Whereas, you know, I, I used to train and pl- so I used to play. Say, for instance, I know it's different because we're in a different culture and an era now. But if I'd play on the park on a on a Sunday or play in the schoolyard, I'd be playing with lads five, six years older than myself, and I'd learn to move the ball quickly because if I didn't, I was going to get kicked and get squatted. You know, but they, but they're the type of things you learn without being told. You know, so you actually your decision making, the things that you do, you just you're making actually clever decisions on the back of the circumstances and the environment you're working in. Anything, Ben, or do you want me to carry on? I'm I'm quite happy to. Do you want, do you want to look at my question sheet? Yeah, if you could. <laughs> I please. mean, I've I've obviously done a little bit of prep here. <laughs> um, and <sighs> you you haven't got Wikipedia up, so you're struggling. No, I've, I normally have who scored so, up. Michael, to be as fair. a young player at Manchester United, obviously you benefited from some loan spells. One, I believe, at Wimbledon and was in an Intertoto Cup squad. I don't know whether you got a game or not, because my research is half decent. Um, but then you came here, and um, yeah, do you have any any recollections of coming? Was it Steve Wicks? Yeah, it was Steve Wicks. Um, I don't remember Lincoln as a place. I've got to say, like I, I was a young lad. And it was a matter of getting the train from Manchester into Lincoln, into the hotel, turning up for training. And that was sort of my, my life for a month or so. Um, then I, I played in four games, probably touched the ball about six times. Um, it was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, got my teeth knocked out in the first game. I think it was at Chester. Five one got beat five one league debut got me two front teeth knocked out. <laughs> Great start to football life. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, yeah, it was a, it was a big eye opener, but obviously 
Um, I'm a massive believer, you know, that young players need to get exposed to, to men's football as quick as they can. Um, you know, we've got a couple of young players at the club already doing that at the minute. And that's why I feel, you know, Lincoln City, the size of club we are now, where we want to be, we're still on a journey. It's been massively successful for a few years now. Um but we want to keep on improving. Uh, and the way you do that, you have a mixture of, obviously, experienced players and young players. And sometimes you've got to take that risk and uh, try and help develop other people's players, but at the same time bringing you success as well. As I say, the, the, the thing that you've... Um, oh God, he's, he's, I can't keep calling him a prick, <laughs> but he is. Um, like the, so the, the thing yeah, you said about like, the, the mix of youth and experience, it's... There was a comment uh, sort of a little bit earlier on in the season where you said it, it felt like you needed more of the, the youth to come in and, and be blooded through the squad. Mm. Um, is that where your philosophy sits? A lot of it is that you, you try and lean towards the younger players more than have the experienced heads. I mean, obviously, you do need that experience there, mm. but do you, do you prefer to bring in younger players when it, you get to like a transfer window or when you, you bring them through the youth setup? Or I think it depends, depends on the balance of your squad at that moment in time. Um, you know, and sometimes experience can, the word experience can be, can, you know, it means lots of things. In football, it doesn't necessarily mean age. But I, I don't think it de- de- actually necessarily means age. For me, an experienced player is someone who's got games under his belt. You know, so you can have, there's plenty 20, 21-year-olds out there who've had over 100 league games. Now, for me, that's an experienced player, regardless of his age. Um, you know, these, um, we've got, like, well, Toss has already mentioned, obviously, young Gellis. You know, and um, for me, you know, if, if he has a poor game, Ellis, I, I'd like to think that, that the fans would stay with him because, ultimately, you can't be judging a player until he's had a run in the team of maybe like 12, 15, 20 games. And you've got to be brave enough to do that. And I hope as a club and as a staff and as a manager that we can do that and see through if he has a a difficult time because he's a talent. Um, But talent needs time. Talent needs time to be able to grow, develop. Um, And I've had a little bit of success at that at previous clubs. And, you know, that's what I want to continue here. We were talking about your career. When we talk about a little bit of success, you did have a little bit of success with a lad called Kamar Roof, if I remember, mm. who, who ended up leaving Oxford for two and a half million. Something Three and a like half. Three and a half million. Yeah. Jesus, that's my yeah. research. <laughs> um, so again, I mean, that, that, that's the sort of thing. But from, uh, from your point of view, again, obviously as a, as a young player, and it, it kind of has reflections today, you mm. then went to, um, and we'll have no booing, Grimsby, and you had quite, mm. quite a positive spell at Grimsby, didn't you? Mm. Um, including scoring a goal against the uh, Blue Half of Manchester, I believe. Yeah, I did, yeah. I, I got a bit of stick as well. To be, I was getting some real, real stick off the City fans at the time, and um, it, it, it really felt good sticking one of them, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good feeling. and It, it was a tough day because at the time... They had an absolute magician in the middle of the park who my job on that day was to man-mark him, uh, Georgie Conclady. Um So, to be fair, how I didn't get sent off in that game, I'll never know, to be honest with you. Um, but, um, yeah, we got, we got a bit of a, a bit of a tonking, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, we, we hung on and got the point on the day, which was good. Um, but it was, uh, it was a great experience for me, like I say, being a red and to score... 
Uh, I can't remember what happened that night, but it was a good night. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, yeah, that's always a sign of a good night, isn't it? Like you wake up the following morning, why am I in a hedge? What, what's happened here? Absolutely. I can't remember the journey home from Burton, if I'm honest. Well, you told me something about the journey <laughs> yeah, home from Burton yeah, earlier. That, that, was, that wasn't entirely due to that. So, um, so obviously, then, I mean, your career really took off, I think, when you went to Preston North End, uh, club record signing. And, and there's, there's two elements there, because obviously there's, there's the pressure of the club record signing that I'm interested in. But also, you were saying, you know, you're taking a lot of stick off Man City fans. Um, and, and nowadays, particularly more than ever, there is really a focus on how that affects players and more mindfulness towards mental well-being, for instance. Mm. So, I mean, for you, certainly leaving Manchester United, going to Preston North End, did you feel a burden of pressure? Were you kind of labelled as, you know, here's this kid from United, he's got to be decent because we paid a lot of money for him? Mm. And, and how do you kind of cope with that? Yeah, there was definitely that in my first year at Preston. There's no doubt about it. Um, we... We had a pretty good squad that was put together by Gary Peters um, and David Moyes is the assistant manager and he was a, a player as well at the time. Um, and the squad that was put together, we knew it was a good one. We knew it was one that could compete at, at, at probably top half of, of league, what is League One now. Um, and um, it didn't quite work out that way in the first half of the season. Gary lost his job and, 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 and Moyes took over. Um, but there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure on me at the time and it was a time where um, most players would look at the local paper and look at your markings and you, six, I was at least an eight, like, you know, you, but it, it, it did affect you. It did affect you and, you know, you'd look at the, the, the pullouts in the uh, the sun, the star, the mirror and all these local, all these tabloids out there and you'd be thinking, I'm better than that or I played better than that. Uh, and you let it affect you a little bit. So I made a real, made a real conscious effort after my first season at Preston to just ignore it, don't read it. Um, and I do it today, as, as, even as, as a manager and coach. Don't, don't read anything. Don't do social media. Um, That's good news for me, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't need to. I don't need anyone telling me if we were poor or we were good. I know, you know. I'd like to think Toffs and the lads would. You know, um, vouch for that. At the end of the day, if we've not played well and we've not been good enough, you know, you'll hear it from me first. You won't need to hear it from anybody else. Um, so I, I tried to do that, like I say, after that first year being at Preston. And to be fair, it did help me because, again, I had enough people around me at the time when I was playing in terms of family and friends and uh, my mum and dad at the time. Who, If I was crap, they told me I was crap uh, and they were good at it. Um, so, um yeah. It was something that uh, I consciously did because you can beat yourself up about it. You can really beat yourself up about it. And obviously with social media now, Twitter, etc., it's a platform for people to basically knock other people. Um, Just looking for Pearson in the audience there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy Pearson has a voice. I thought you only communicated in little drawings. <laughs> But the, the, the single most um, easiest thing to do in life, and it's something that we all do very, very easy, is to criticise. Very rarely praise. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm obviously conscious of that now as a coach and a manager that, you know, we've all got standards and very high standards to live up to. Um, but you have to recognise when players do well and when the team do well and tell them. But at the same time, keep it on an even keel because... 
football's got this funny way of coming around and slapping you in the face. So if you get overconfident um, and too carried away, um, you know, the reality is the opposition want to win just as much as you do. Yeah, I think that's that's a message that there's certain sections of the fan base at the moment could probably do with hearing. Um, it's been, obviously, it's been a, you know, we're, we're in a period of transition at the moment and I think you'd be the first to, to recognise that. And it's, um, yeah, the, the, what you've said there about, you know, the other team want to win just as much as you. That, to me, is the key phrase. It's, mm. it's where people go in expecting a win every week and it's like, well, that's not going to happen. Mm. You know, you, you guys are going to try your hardest to make it happen, but it's not, you know, no one's going to lay down and let you walk over them in this league. No, and, and, and it is a transition and the, the players are aware of that and, and the staff are aware of that. And I think if we're all sensible and certainly the sensible supporters out there, definitely, I'm sure there's a lot in the room tonight that, you know, it's we are playing at a different level. We're playing at a level that the club's not played at for a long, long time. They're better teams, better players, um, clubs that we wouldn't have played against in the past other than in cup competitions. Um, and we have to make sure that we can first compete with those sides before then we can start getting ahead of ourselves and thinking, can we go to the next level? Um, at this minute, I do think we are competing with them. Uh, Toss mentioned it early. We haven't had the rubber to green, and there's times where we've had opportunities and big opportunities to take the leading games. Um, and I think, I think that's massive, doesn't matter what level of football you're playing at. If you, if you do go ahead in a game... You don't lose that often, um, and you shouldn't lose that often if you go ahead in a game. So it gives yourself an opportunity, a platform to play from, and um, we have probably missed that in some of the games since they've come in. We've had great opportunities to go ahead, not taking them, and obviously got punished for it. Sounds? No? Yeah. Shall I carry on then, Ben? Right, so... Um... <laughs> Sorry, mate. Sake. So obviously we'll move on now to West Brom, and... Uh, one thing that keeps cropping up and will crop up all the way through the recording here, I think, is the quality of managers and players that you've played with. Actually, just off the cuff, did uh, Preston North End with Paul Morgan there while you were there? Yeah, Morgan was there, yeah. Yeah, he's a physio now, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. at Accrington. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. a bit of a legend there. Was he always a, a class act? So I always thought if he might be, if he'd been two inches taller, I think he would have played top flight football. Yeah, I, I, I remember Morgan, to be fair. He, um, he had a couple of injuries at, at the time when, when I was there and he, he got a, a few games once he left, but... Um, I think when he first come over, I think it was quite difficult difficult for him at first when he first come over because um, I think it was a little bit of a shock to his system. Um, but then very, very quickly, um, we had a really good group at North End at the time. Really, really good group. We used to socialise together, obviously train together, play together. Um, and uh, we did get a little bit of a name for ourselves, you know, because how much socialising we did. But at the end of the day, we, we produced on the pitch at the same time, so it was fine. Wonderful. I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit now and move towards West Brom and if you don't mind touch on kind of the end of your career and it was obviously really untimely and as a person and as a coach I mean I read a comment about how you've you really drive yourself now as a coach because what was a promising playing career was obviously brought to an end so close I mean is that is that kind of the motivation behind the coach now and how hard was that to deal with at the time? I think it's definitely part of the motivation. When you lose 10 years of your career due to you know, medical negligence rather than just a natural injury or uh, not being good enough or whatever that may be, it was tough to take at the time. There was a lot of emotions that was going through. The first one was anger, wanting to 
tear the, the guy apart. The second one was almost, right, what do I do now? Um, a little bit of guilt at the same time. You know, all, all these things are sort of going through my head. And I, I think, I've, I think I've, I've mentioned in a couple of articles, but I'll, I'll tell the story very, very quickly anyway. I remember um, probably partway through my, my, my rehab, towards the end of my rehab, and then once I'd been told that um, I couldn't play again, um, there was a doctor that came into the football club at the time and he probably come into the football club probably just before I was told uh, and at the time there was a lot of frustration a lot of anger um, I probably realised myself that I wasn't going to get back playing um, and I was probably in a bit of a dark place and didn't realise it and uh, I used the gym as a bit of an outlet um, and I was probably like I say I was probably an angry man. I didn't give people the time of day. I was very short with my answers and didn't really want to speak to people. Um, and then when I got over it, I got into the coaching side of it. Um, my personality come out a little bit. I was a little bit normal. I realised that, OK, I'm over that now. Next part of my, my life, next part of my career. And he did actually say to me, he said, he pulled me, pulled me in before a game once and he just said, have you got a minute? I said, yeah, yeah, what's up? He just said, look, I just want to apologise. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I didn't realise, he said, I just thought you were a horrible little so-and-so. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I came in, and at the time I came in, obviously you were going through your injury, and I understand the frustrations, etc." He said, but now I've seen you now, how you are, your personality, etc." He said, you were depressed, 100%, 100%. You know, he said, I can do it, and I can <laughs> do it because he was a doctor. He said, but it was like Jekyll and Hyde, your personality, what you were then, and what you are now, and I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that at the time, and obviously with the issues that are certain coming to surface over the last couple of years, especially around mental health, the more help people get, the better. The more people talk, the better, because it is it's a serious serious issue in the game. And like I say, with with the platform that we we have with social media, and it's easy to criticise people. You know, players and some players and coaches and managers do struggle with it, um, and you just need to find a, a balance of recognising what's, what's good criticism, what's bad criticism, and just sort of drawing a line under it. Um, when, it comes to, when it comes to coaching, is that, is that something that you always had your mind set on, even before, you know, before your injury, or was it something that your injury kind of almost kick-started and said, right, well, if I can't play, then I'm going to go into coaching, or how did that, how did that come about? It, it definitely sped it up. Um, it, it was funny because... It, a lot of good. I've been surrounded by a lot of good people from a coaching point of view, a management point of view, and the manager at the time when I, when I finished playing was Gary Megson, and you know Gary was a fiery character, you know, um, and you you may have come up against him and seen him certainly on the touchline um, at times like whoa, you know, he was he was a tough character, um, but he was a great motivator. Um, you know, I remember I was talking about this this morning. Before the electronic boards, you guys, some of you guys in the room remember, do you remember the old um, substitute, like, wooden boards? But Gary was the type of person that he'd be like, if I wasn't playing particularly well, he'd be going, Appleton, Appleton, to try and get me attention. And he'd have my number. He said, you've got five minutes. <laughs> He's going, you've got five minutes. Or you could... And I'm like, well, that was the type of motivation he'd use on the side of the pitch. So basically, you've got five minutes to improve or you're coming off. Um, but um, what was the question again? 
Um, was was coaching something that was? Oh yeah, no, it it, it escalated obviously because of what happened to me, uh, and he he made sure that I stayed around. I was ready to pack up and move back up to Manchester once I'd been told, and he told me to hang around, continue to do what you've been doing, come in every day, get your kit on, go in the gym, come and watch training, do a little bit with us, and I stayed around, and then probably after about six months or so, got offered to if I wanted to take the under 14s and I got the bug straight away and I'm, I, I decided that I was going to get literally qualified as quick as I possibly could and that was brilliant but it was part of the problem and my decision making of how poor it was in the early part of my management career because I was just in a rush too much of a rush to get to the to the summit too soon um, but um, I had a really good time Fantastic time at West Brom, going from doing the 14s, the 16s, the 18s, the reserves, um, assistant manager, and obviously taking taking the team as well uh, for one game. Which, that was eventful. Um, so, yeah, it was good. What was it you say that, that was eventful? There, there was a, a glimmer there. Is there a, a story there? Well, it's certainly... Uh, I, I was well educated how to deal with a half-time team talk when you're 3-0 up and how not to do it. Um, no, we were we were fr- we were 3-0 up at half-time to West Brom and I remember Roy was in the stand and I met him the night before and um, <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the things, um, you know, we, we spoke about was obviously, you know, just me just letting the players do their thing. Uh, we had a good week of training and stuff and we were 3-0 up at half-time so I'm thinking... This is easy, this. Um, what I didn't know was what was going on in the other dressing room um, and what I was told afterwards was that a couple of their senior players were taking over what was going on and took over the manager and decided to get into the rest of the players. Anyway, we drew three all and we were hanging on. It could have been 4-3 to them, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, very, very quickly I realised that, you know... Um, you only get probably two opportunities to influence the players. One is obviously the week, yes. Um, but the second one is at half-time. You know, on a Saturday before the game, and Toffs will probably testify, the work's been done during the week. You know, I, I leave the... the and, and after I've spoken to the players on a Saturday morning for 10 minutes or so, I leave the rest of it down to the coaching staff. Um, the players know that I'm there watching, aware of what's going on. Um but I've done my work during the week and then the next time I really get to do something is at half time. And you better know your stuff and you better know what you need to do because that's when you can make a bit of an impact. Well, obviously, um, at West Brom, quite famously, we're the first team who were bottom at, of the Premier League at Christmas to stay up and you were part of the coaching staff. And I've listened to a couple of podcasts, Jeff Horsfield, Kevin Campbell, uh, talking about that time. Cause it, uh, Brian Robson, the manager, I know there was quite a different culture. Um, obviously, you will have learned some really positive lessons, but was there perhaps anything you learned from there maybe not to do as well at all? Uh, possibly. Um, <laughs> it, it was a lively group. There's no doubt about that. Obviously, you mentioned... Uh, Jeff Horsfield, um, you know, incredible character. Uh, really underrated as a player. Really, really underrated. Um, as a number nine, an old-fashioned number nine, playing with his back to goal, he was great. Kevin Campbell, um, good leader, um, fantastic in the dressing room, was the organiser, uh, did everything. Uh, we had a young lad, Kieran Richardson, on loan from United at the time. He was, he was in, in the form of his life, to be fair, and 
I think he actually scored on the on the last day of the season. He was one of the guys who scored on the last day of the season to keep us up. And it was a good group. It was a mixture of lads who'd been rejected from from sort of bigger clubs as as young players and got their opportunity at West Brom and a few of the local lads as well. Um, so it was probably when we got to Christmas and you looked at the table and seen where we were. Um, you know, no one really gave us any hope, and I, probably within even within the club, it was. We're thinking oh, this is going to be tough, but um, fair play to to the lads and, and the management. Um, Nigel Pearson was a big part of that with Brian. Um, he played a massive part as well, and Craig Shakespeare. So it was um, it was almost like the perfect storm. Second half of the season, everything came together, and it came down to that last last game of the season. And um, yeah, it was an incredible day. I remember listening to that on um, on Five Live, and it was I think at one point every team that could have gone down was down and then every team could have stayed up was was surviving it was just that to me was that that moment when i was like ah, actually God, football's all right isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely. and i'm looking through and i'm going to refer to my notes now because here's a list of uh, some of the managers that you had worked with or under before uh, before you entered management yourself so we've obviously got sir alex roy hodgson roberto di matteo nigel pearson brian robson gary megson tony mowbray i mean that's that's a heck of a list. I mean, did, did each of them kind of bring something different to you? Was there any one of them that stood out? I mean, probably Sir Alex, even though you work closely with as an assistant or coach, that you kind of, you know, that the, the really stuck with you, so to speak? I think in terms of um, an influence on my life, I suppose, Sir Alex obviously had a big influence, not just on me, obviously the majority of the players that come through United at the time. I spent five years there full-time. It's hard not to. Um, when you're witnessing, you know, something huge happening because I remember the first time we won the league. Um, and that was some party, by the way, afterwards. Um, but, yeah. Um, but, no, it, it was an incredible time. Um, so in terms of life skills, you know, the will to win, doing things properly, discipline, resilience, you know, I certainly needed all them things to come through what happened with the injury and stuff like that and the knockbacks I've got. Um, I think in terms of coaching, um, Roy probably had the biggest influence on me. His attention to detail is as good as anything I've ever seen, um, bar none. Um, you know, in certain people, you see Roy in a certain light, obviously in the public eye and on the TV, and he's very different away from it. Um, he's meticulous. He's, like I say, he's... His attention to detail on the coaching field, um, it won't be many better. And I, I, there's something that's often said about yourself is that your your strength is on the grass and is working with players. And I think as a, a successful manager isn't necessarily one that buys the right players and puts them in the right positions. It's a manager that can develop players and that can work, not just with what he's got, but understands probably more of the workings. Is that something you, you feel then that you, you probably got from Roy? Yeah, I think so. I think... Um, you know, we're all different how we deal with players. Um, two, two things come to mind straight away. that When I'm dealing with a player, whether it's good or bad, whether I'm giving him good news, bad news, humility and respect. If he gives me respect, I'll give him respect completely back. And the one thing you'll always get is humility from myself. So if I'm dropping a player, leaving a player out, giving a player the bollocking, I'll do it with the utmost respect. Um because at the end of the day, we're human beings. Yes, we're, we're footballers, we're managers, we're coaches, but we're human beings. Um, so there's that human side of it. I think, I think if you do it, 
these days, I think a lot of it has to be one-on-one. Um, I think we've gone into an era where players do struggle with criticism. Um, I think the rollickings in the back and then going mad... Um, you know, I, I don't think I don't think they work that much these days. I think obviously there's a time and place where you need to do it um, with something that might have happened on the field of play that isn't acceptable. But I think the majority of the time you'll get a better response from your players if you do it in a calculated manner and you know exactly what you want from them, and they can then go and like, execute it. Speak there about the the, the Rollerkins. Obviously, there's famous Sir Alex hairdryer. Just mm. thinking about it, were you at United the night that Cantona? Were you with at United at that yeah, time? Yeah, I, I was there. I wasn't. I wasn't at Sellers Park, but um, it was great for me to be fair because um, I played in all like the, the games they did to get him fit. So we had we probably had about ten games behind closed door uh, to get fit, and, and and actually we played in a. We played in a, a testimonial at Carroll Road um, for Brian Gunn, and he was like twenty thousand at Carroll Road, and uh, it was one of my first like senior senior games at the time, and it was the best one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given as a player, and I was just sat there probably a little bit nervous in the dressing room, twenty thousand watching. I know it's only a testimonial, but it's not bad for one of your first games and um, playing for United and. To be fair, Eric come and sat down next to me and um, he just said to me, he said, um, he said, what are you good at? So I'm like looking up at him like, I'm going, I don't know, winning the ball back. Okay, what else? Keeping it simple. Right, okay, good. He went, right, bit of advice. And he's French accent, obviously I'm not going to try and do a French accent. Um, he just said, win the ball, give it to me, run, and I'll find you. And then just walked off. So that's what I did all night. Honestly, that's what I did all night. I just nailed a few players, give it to him, run, and I kept, and we created quite a few goals from it. So, was he, was he the best player you've played with? I think so. Um, in terms of ability-wise, obviously, you know, Scholes, Beckham, all these people, you know, the top, top, top players. Um, the likes of Roy Keane was was up there and as good, but for a very different way. Um, the way he, he led the team was incredible. He had a, a an influence that you were petrified to give the ball away in training, and I mean absolutely petrified. Um, but you learnt good habits. You learnt to keep the ball moving two and three touches because you knew if you took more than three touches, you're going to get the ball taken off you. Um, but in terms of pure ability and the influence he could have on a group, Eric had an incredible influence on that team. The story that I, know, I love about that is I think Lee Sharp did an after-dinner speech and he was talking about the, the game at Sellers Park. And he says, uh, Ed, when they came in, Ed, Ed, everyone's talking, all right, keep your heads down, lads, just just don't say anything. And Fergie went mental at everybody for little mistakes they made in the game. And then at the end of it, he just went, and Eric, you can't be doing that, son. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, like I say, he was he was the catalyst to everything that, that was really good for United at the time. And... I remember he used to come in, obviously, he's a Frenchman. He, he was a big unit, by the way. He's, well, I don't know if any of you come face-to-face with him. He was six foot two, three, and built as well. And, you know, he, he was probably the only player ever as a coach or being as a player. I've never known anyone not get stick about the gear they wear. 
And he used to turn up in like some of these like outfits, and I'm like, if that was anybody else, it'd be getting <laughs> slated. But because it's the king, like he just. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get much stick about your gear, though. I mean, you're 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 geared up most times in press conferences and stuff as well. I think Mr. Pearson's probably eyeing your coat back there. He likes it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know. I, I'm. Yeah. I, I suppose that's the, the Manchester in me, the Northern in me. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're coming to the end of part one now, but we're kind of going to lead into your uh, becoming a manager. So, um, obviously, you'd, was that always in your mind as you were coming through the 14s, the 16s, the reserves? Mm. Did you always think, I want to be a manager? Or was it a natural transition? You got to coach, you had the taste on the touchline and thought, that's me. No, I think I always wanted to be a manager. And like I say, it was a little bit of a, a detriment to me, to myself, like in, in the way that and how I did it. Uh, I was just in a rush because I got obviously lost ten years of my career. I was just in far too much of a rush to to try and get to the top too soon. And um, I, I believe I got the opportunity to manage in the championship as young as what I did because it was a, it was a little bit different than probably on the back of what I did on the coaching field rather than managing people and managing teams. Um, and I get that and I understand that. You know, and I, and I won't want to change that because I would I'd back myself in the coaching field with, with most people, you know. Um, but to go into a into a, a job with a championship club uh, that had a couple of seasons earlier won the FA Cup, etc., um, to come against some of the characters that were in the dressing room, and then on top of it do a double administration, it was a little bit of a tough start. <laughs> in, in part two, we are going to touch on your, your tough start, which involved a couple of short reigns and obviously some, some what could be classed as, as, as basket case clubs and that sort of thing. Um, is, is there anything from the coaching side, Ben, that you would like to add before? I mean, just for you know, part two, obviously you guys are going to get to hear straight away, but it, if you're listening to this at home, it's going to be 24 hours. So, um, well, at least it's me doing it, Gary, yeah, and we all know true. what you're going to say about 48 that. 48 hours, technical difficulties. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. Nah, I think, um, and if he's poorly, it might be, you know, 2020. I'm all right. I'm all right, mate. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I love you really, Ben. You better do. Anyway, yes, um, I think that's probably that's probably a good spot to, to leave part one. Um, so, yeah, join us for part two in a day or so. And for you guys, you can get yourself a tea, coffee or whatever. And see you in a few minutes. the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow you've got your McNugget share boxes on the go your mates already got booked for double dipping but then you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.